2: the diagnosis hit like a sledgehammer to the face. Cancer. It forever divided William Halford's world into the blessed, hopeful before and the wretched, risky after. In 2010, Halford was working as a virologist at Southern Illinois University. He looked like a stereotypical engineer. Square face, square glasses, gray hair. He definitely would have worn a pocket protector back in the day. Halford was a rising star in virology for his work on herpes. In particular, he was developing a herpes vaccine, the world's first. He hoped this vaccine would both prevent people from getting herpes and lower the severity of outbreaks for those who had herpes. Some vaccines used dead viruses. Halford's vaccine used a live but weakened form of herpes. Because the virus was alive, Halford hoped that the body of anyone injected with the vaccine would mount a full immune response and learn to fend herpes off. But because the virus was weakened, he hoped it wouldn't do much damage. To test his vaccine, Halford gave 160 mice a nasty herpes virus. Some had been vaccinated beforehand, some not. 99% of the vaccinated mice lived. Only 6% of the unvaccinated mice lived. This was a show-stopping result, and Halford published his results in 2011 to great acclaim. After that, Halford started putting in 90-hour work weeks to develop the vaccine. He had to. There were so many demands he had to juggle, from colleagues, from vaccine makers, from patients, from federal agencies. And even with 90-hour weeks, he was falling behind. Not surprisingly, he got a little run down. He developed a sinus infection he could not shake. So he visited his doctor to get it cleared up so that he could get back to work. His doctor took some swabs, ran some tests, and returned with grim news. It wasn't a sinus infection. It was a rare but aggressive type of nasal cancer. Worse, given the cancer's location near his brain, Doctors could not operate on it or zap the tumor with radiation. Halford's only hope was intense chemotherapy and prayers. And it wasn't clear whether the one would work better than the other. Halford staggered out of the clinic with his life flipped upside down. He was 42 years old with a wife and two kids. He had plans. Cancer didn't square with any of that. But cancer it was. And pretty soon, one fear above all gripped Halford's mind. His vaccine. Could he ever finish it? The problem, as he saw it, was the FDA, the government agency that controls American vaccines. With all the safety and regulatory hurdles in place, developing a herpes vaccine would take at least a decade, years more than he had to live. And that's when William Halford made a decision. If life had changed the rules on him, well, he decided he didn't have to play by life's rules anymore. From the Science History Institute, this is Sam Keene and the Disappearing Spoon, a topsy-turvy, sciencey history podcast, where footnotes become the real story. Nine different types of herpes viruses can infect humans, but doctors focus on two above all. HSV1, which mostly causes cold sores, and HSV2, which mostly causes genital sores. And while some people clutch their pearls and faint upon hearing this, herpes viruses are actually very common, and frankly, not that big of a deal. Globally, one sixth of all people between ages 15 and 49 have HSV2, the genital one. For HSV1, that proportion rises to two thirds. And most infected people have no symptoms. The virus just sits in their body, doing nothing. For this reason, many doctors want to destigmatize herpes. If so many people are infected and it doesn't really affect their lives, who cares? But people do care. Cite all the numbers you want, but large swaths of the population still get hysterical over herpes. Even mild, temporary outbreaks cause deep shame and ruin relationships. And unfortunately, not all cases are mild. In some people, rarely, herpes goes on a rampage. It's the leading cause of blindness in many countries— It can also infect the brain and destroy people's memories, causing profound amnesia. A few unlucky folks also suffer from shooting pains and pus-filled boils on their skins. These outbreaks can occur over and over throughout their lives. So epidemiologically, herpes is a bit odd. Again, it's extremely common and rarely causes damage, but it still carries severe stigma. And in the rare cases where things do go bad, it can ruin people's lives. That's why William Halford wanted to develop the first herpes vaccine. And he was committed to going through the long, tough FDA process for winning vaccine approval. The COVID vaccine that doctors produced in 2020 was actually an exception to the rule because of the acute nature of the coronavirus pandemic. In less dire cases, producing a vaccine is a slog. It can take over a decade of work and cost hundreds of millions of dollars. In fact, critics often chastise the FDA for putting such burdens on potentially life-saving treatments. And in Halford's case, with his cancer diagnosis, he did not have a decade. And that fact ate at him. He began wearing a chain with a jade gemstone on the end. To him, this jade gemstone was a reminder to never waste a single moment. It's not clear when Halford decided to go rogue, but he started recruiting patients early. Halford was not a doctor, but he advised patients on their infections. In fact, he always had a group of fawning patients around him. Their connection to Halford was largely emotional. Unfortunately, even many doctors still stigmatize herpes, and their patients didn't feel they could ask for advice. Or their doctors discounted the pain of people with outbreaks, poo-pooing their suffering. But Halford never dismissed herpes victims. He was patient. He was kind. He took their pain seriously. People with herpes trusted him. Halford then took advantage of that trust. He began recruiting nine patients for a top-secret underground vaccine trial. It began in the summer of 2013. Halford rented a hotel room in southern Illinois, and the nine patients he'd recruited visited the room one by one. When they arrived, Halford sat them on the bed, then began mixing vials of fluids together. Halford was undergoing intense chemotherapy then, and the patients remember him looking pale and weak. But the chance to test his vaccine invigorated him. For each patient, he wiped the injection spot on their calf with alcohol. Then he drew a circle with a black marker and injected the vaccine. In all nine cases, a huge pustule swelled up on the patient's calves within a few days. It was red and angry, like a volcano. But it eventually died back down. And to the patient's delight, their conditions generally improved over the next year. For most, outbreaks stopped. Helford was thrilled. He had given his patients real hope. But to take the next step in his rogue vaccine trial. Halford needed money, and he would get it from a most unlikely source, Hollywood, California. Have you ever wanted to appreciate books or movies or music from another culture? Do you have a big trip coming up and want to get beyond the tourist spots and immerse yourself in local culture? No matter what the reason, Rosetta Stone is the language program for you. Rosetta Stone has been the expert in language learning for 30 years. Millions have used it. Rosetta Stone knows what works for getting started, remembering what you've learned, and motivating you to stay on track. Plus, the built-in True Accent feature gives you live feedback to improve your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. So don't put off learning that language. Start today. For a limited time, Disappearing Spoon listeners get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices.
2: A Hollywood producer, whose credits included a Martin Sheen movie, happened to hear about William Halford through online research. The producer, frankly, was paranoid about herpes. An old girlfriend of his had it. And despite having no outbreaks himself, the producer developed a terror of herpes, a phobia. The producer therefore reached out to Halford in 2015 and flew him to New York for dinner. There he gave Halford $700,000 to found a company and fund his research. With the cash, Halford moved into phase two of his underground vaccine trial. To evade FDA scrutiny, he conducted the trial beyond the reach of the FDA in St. Kitts in the Caribbean. The $700,000 helped rent a house overlooking a gorgeous turquoise bay. Vervet monkeys chattered in the trees nearby. Halford's company flew 20 patients down for three rounds of injections over a few months. Like before, Halford drew a circle on each patient's leg and injected the vaccine, after which an ugly welt arose. In fact, while the patients were walking around St. Kitts, enjoying the sights, they would sometimes spot someone with the same gnarly welt. There would be a moment of shocked recognition, then laughter as they realized they were in the same boat. Many of the patients actually bonded over this experience, happy to finally meet someone who understood their plight and how much they suffered from herpes. Halford then nurtured this sense of community. He hosted dinner parties for patients in St. Kitts, where they feasted and drank beer. Halford's own sufferings also brought him closer to his patients. In St. Kitts, they remember him looking increasingly gray and weary from the chemotherapy. The tumor also damaged his eyes. He began seeing double and had to stop driving a car. He eventually lost an eye and had to wear an eye patch. But his pain and the ferocious way he pushed himself only made his patients love him more. They could see the sacrifices he was making on their behalf. One common criticism of medicine nowadays is that it's too cold, it's too technocratic. You wait for hours, then get five minutes with Dr. So-and-so, then get hustled out the door with pills or orders for yet another test. It's inhuman. In the old days, doctors nurtured body and soul. The brutal efficiency of modern medicine leaves people craving connection. And Halford's vaccine trials nurtured those connections. He built a real community. Unfortunately, that sense of community was part of what made the trial dangerous. You see, it's one thing for your family doctor to chat with you and to nurture your spirit. But a vaccine trial is a different beast altogether, because of the danger of bias. To evaluate how well the vaccine was working, Halford had to ask people about the level of pain they were suffering and the overall severity of their outbreaks. And those aren't objective numerical measurements. Pain especially is subjective. So if you're a patient in this trial, and you're having beers and chumming around with the scientists running it, well, you're more likely to want to please him. And you do so by giving him the answers he wants to hear. That his vaccine was great, that it changed your life. It's human nature. For all its joys, friendships introduce bias. You cannot properly evaluate a vaccine in those circumstances. Even worse, Halford did not design his experiment properly. There was no control group, a cohort of people with herpes who got dummy injections. It's well known, psychologically, that any care and treatment will make people feel better, even if the treatment is worthless. It's called the placebo effect. And without a control group, Halford had no way of knowing whether the vaccine was actually doing something, or if the mere care and attention from a sympathetic soul, from a friend, was the real benefit. Halford nevertheless plowed forward, and the initial results from the St. Kitts trial looked promising. Several patients said the injections functionally cured them of herpes. They suffered no more outbreaks, no more pain. Unfortunately, some people got worse. The first injections provided temporary relief. But then the shooting pains and sores came roaring back. One woman also experienced uncontrollable shaking. She said she felt like she was suddenly 100 years old, weak, and decrepit. Some patients outright refused the third vaccine shot. And sadly, when these patients told Halford about their sufferings, he dismissed their complaints, exactly like their doctors had before. He told them their symptoms could not possibly be related to his super-safe vaccine. They must have picked up another disease in the tropics. In reality, here is what likely happened. Again, there are two main types of herpes viruses, HSV-1 and HSV-2. The vaccine contained a weakened form of number 2. But some of Halford's patients probably had HSV-1. So the vaccine was introducing a new strain of herpes into their bodies, bodies that were already sensitive to herpes outbreaks. No wonder they suffered. Halford eventually submitted a paper about his vaccine trial for publication. In it, he claimed that 17 of the 20 patients were fully cured of herpes. But he didn't offer much support for this. And he ignored the three patients who fared worse. Moreover, his obvious attempts to dodge regulatory and ethical rules horrified the scientists who peer-reviewed the trial. Stubbornly, Halford kept working on his vaccine until the very end, until his body finally gave out. One night before bed, in summer 2017... His wife saw him take off the jade necklace he wore to remind himself to never waste a single moment. A few weeks later, he died at age 46. Shortly afterward, three patients sued Halford's vaccine company, which survived his death. Doing so was not an easy decision for the patients. Filing the lawsuit required them to go public with the fact that they have herpes. They've been trying to hide that their whole lives to avoid the stigma. And their decision to sue outed them. But they felt they had no choice. The trial is still pending. So what should we take away from the case of William Halford? Halford argued that government regulations stifle potentially life-saving treatments. And many scientists would agree. Should developing a new drug or treatment really take hundreds of millions of dollars? you're all but ensuring that companies will only pursue treatments that will make them lots of money. It skews their values. Then again, just because Halford was right about one point doesn't mean he was right overall. In my book, The Ice-Pick Surgeon, I dissected several cases of rogue medical scientists conducting unethical experiments on people. I also explained how safeguards like FDA oversight and institutional review boards can curb such abuses. I didn't know about Halford's story when I wrote ice Pick Surgeon, but it is uncanny how many traits he shares with other rogue scientists. Most obvious was his tunnel vision, especially after his cancer diagnosis. From that point forward, very little mattered to Halford beyond his vaccine. His desire to test the vaccine overrode everything else in his life, even the normal medical instinct to do no harm. Beyond his tunnel vision, Halford's ego also proved destructive. By all accounts, he genuinely wanted to help people with herpes. But instead of rushing forward, he should have simply done all the work he could do in the time that he had left, then trained others to take over after he died. Halford didn't do that. He insisted that he had to see things through. He alone could do the work. And while his patients appreciated his nurturing approach— His friendship with them undermined the validity of his trial in the end. Time will tell whether Halford's vaccine will work and benefit the world at large. The company he founded still exists and is still working on his vaccine, albeit by following FDA rules this time. But even if the vaccine works, Halford ruined lives along the way. I do believe that on many levels, William Halford was a good person. But even good people need ethics. At one point in The Icepick Surgeon, I mentioned that, despite all the safeguards of modern research, if someone truly were determined to carry out an unethical experiment, society probably could not stop them. I didn't mean this as a prophecy, just a provocative line to get people thinking. But I have to say, this is one case where it does not feel good to be proved right. Right. This is the Disappearing Spoon podcast, brought to you by the Science History Institute. Find out more about their library, museum, and multimedia magazine at sciencehistory.org. Make sure you check out the Science History Institute's other awesome podcast, Distillations. You can find their in-depth narrative stories and interviews about everything from space junk to sex, drugs, and migraines anywhere you get your podcast, and on their website, Distillations.org. You can find more incredible stories from my books at samkeen.com. You can also book me as a speaker at your school or event. If you like this podcast, please support it at patreon.com slash disappearing spoon. It costs as little as seven cents per day. You can also get bonus episodes and signed books. Please spread the word to others as well, and subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or other places. This episode was written by me, Sam Keen. It was mixed by Jonathan Pfeffer and produced by Mariel Carr, Rigoberto Hernandez, and Padmini Ragunath.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.